0: Lift off. We have a
1: lift I don't know if it's coincidence or divine justice, but today is the anniversary of the day the Titanic set sail. It's also the day we learned that Elizabeth Warren barely raised a million dollars in her presidential campaign, even Pete Butterjudge. Beat Elizabeth Warren in fundraising. <laughs> wow. Welcome. It's Eric Erickson here. News 95. 5 a.m. 750 WSB. The phone number here. 404-872-0750. one wsb Talk. Yes, yes. William Barr, the attorney general of the United States, suggesting that the president's campaign was improperly spied upon by the FBI. It is important to note a couple of things. One is he walked back the spied-on rhetoric to improperly surveilled, but at the same time, uh, he's also noting that, in fact, he thinks they might have been looked at improper. Might, he might have been looked at improperly. Let me play you some of the audio. You heard some of it from Chris Chandler on this. Relying um, on
0: a political campaign is a big deal. It's a big deal. Uh, generation I grew up in, which was the Vietnam War, a period you know people were all concerned about spying on uh, yeah. anti-war people and so forth by the government and there were a lot of rules put in place to make sure that there's an adequate basis before before our law enforcement agencies get involved in poli- you know political uh, surveillance i'm not suggesting that uh, those rules were violated but i think it's important to look at that, and I'm not just—I'm not talking about the FBI uh, necessarily, but intelligence agencies more broadly.
1: So you're not—you're not suggesting, though, that spying occurred.
0: I don't. Uh, well, uh, I guess you could. I—I think there was uh, spying did occur. Yes, I think spying did occur.
1: Well, let me. The, uh, the question
0: is whether it was predicated adequately predicated, and I'm not suggesting it wasn't adequately predicated, but I'd need to explore that. I think it's my obligation. Congress is usually very concerned about intelligence agencies and law enforcement agencies staying in their proper lane, and I want to make sure that happened. We have a lot of rules about that, and uh, I want to say that that, uh, I've said I'm reviewing this. I am going, I haven't set up a team yet, but I do have I have in mind having some colleagues help me pull all this information together and, and let me know whether there's some areas that should be looked at and i also want to make clear this is not launching an investigation of the fbi i frankly I'm, I'm, uh, to the extent there were there were any issues at the fbi i do not view it as a a, a, a problem that's endemic to the fbi uh, I think there was probably a failure among uh, a group of leaders uh, there uh, at the upper echelon. And so I don't like to hear attacks about the FBI because I think the FBI is an outstanding organization. And I think, you know, Chris Ray uh, is a great partner for me. I'm, I'm very pleased that he's there as the director. and. If it becomes necessary to, to, to look over uh, some former officials' uh, activities, I expect that I'll be relying heavily on Chris and, and work closely with him uh, in looking at that information. But uh, that's what I'm doing. I, I feel I have an obligation to make sure that government power is not abused. I mean, I think that's one of the principal roles of the attorney general. Wow.
1: Wow, that was the Attorney General of the United States, William Barr, saying, yes, he does think that the president's campaign was spied on, and you should see the meltdown from the left this afternoon. Now, listen, here's the, here's the crazy thing, is that no one disputed that this happened. I mean, James Comey and, and McCabe and the others, they, they were all pretty clear that— Yes, the FBI was surveilling them, and now the left's like, they didn't do that. Carter Page wasn't looked at until after he left the campaign, which, you know, interestingly enough, that's what the uh, conservatives have been saying for a very long time. Remember, the the left had been saying for a while that Carter Page is one of the people who had been looked at, and, and myself and others were saying, wait a second. Well, then how can this involve the Trump campaign? Because Carter Page wasn't looked at until after the campaign. Oh, you apologists for Donald Trump. You apologists for Donald Trump. You know they were looking at Carter Page the whole time. And now suddenly so they're, what? How could the FBI have spied? They weren't looking at Carter Page until after he left. No, we, we all kind of knew that something was going on there, and we also know—I think James Comey has made it very clear through his behavior and statements after being fired that, uh, yes, he really did think that Donald Trump was malicious, and he really did think that Donald Trump was a tool of the Russians, knowingly or unknowingly, and they started a surveillance operation. And in fact, you know, um, uh, William Barr has come out this afternoon, and he said uh, he's actually calling it surveillance, not spying, but the law still applies. As he was saying—I don't know if you caught that at the very beginning—but The FBI in the 1950s and 60s, spying on civil rights leaders for J. Edgar Hoover, and then in the 1960s, the peace protesters and whatnot, uh, Congress changed the law on how the FBI is allowed to surveil private citizens engaged in political operations, how they do it, the procedures that must be followed. And all Barr wants to do is make sure they actually follow the law as they were supposed to. Wouldn't it be hilarious— if having discovered that President Trump did not collude with the Russians to steal the election, uh, they do find that FBI agents broke the law and of failing the campaign. Oh, there w- God has a sense of humor, and we may just see it in this. Now, a buddy of mine said it sent me along the data on Elizabeth Warren's funders. It was actually $6 million for the quarter. It was only $1 million in the last month. Um, that's really not good. Pete Butterjudge. Got seven million dollars. Elizabeth Warren is behind Buttigieg. That's not good. Now, back to the surveillance issue. I I have said a couple of times on the show that my my gut reaction. I never thought the president colluded with the Russians. I did suspect that. Um, that Roger Stone and others, that that they might have reached out to the Russians. And in fact, that, that appears to be one of the implications of the Mueller uh, report is that there were people associated with the president who reached out to people with information, but they didn't realize they were Russians. For example, WikiLeaks. Um, WikiLeaks already made the information public that they were going to release Hillary Clinton's emails, and you, you had people who were close to Trump, reach out, but they didn't do so on behalf of the campaign. They claimed to, apparently, but they didn't actually do it on behalf of the campaign. And they apparently had no knowledge that these entities were uh, fronts for the Russian government and Russian intelligence operations. So they didn't know. But they were so convinced that people close to Clinton were going to do anything and everything to win, including steal the election. I mean, for God's sakes, you got an entire group of people out there who are convinced that Clinton's killed Vince Foster. So you look at that and you think, okay, so maybe these people are ruthless. We better be ruthless, too. So these associates of the Trump campaign who gave the Trump campaign a black eye through their behavior, they were looking through the lens of the other side really is awful and ruthless. Therefore, we need to do whatever it takes to stop them. While that was going on, you had pretentious little preening jerks like James Comey and Andrew McCabe and others in charge of the FBI, elitists who believed that they knew what was best for the country and the country needed to be protected from itself. And they viewed Donald Trump through the worst possible lens. And when they got wind of maybe the Russians are trying to do something, their immediate conclusion was that, well, Donald Trump's such a terrible person, of course he would work with the Russians to steal the election. We better check into this. We better do something. We need to stop this. And they had no basis for making those determinations other than they did not like and did not trust President Trump. They believed about President Trump. The worst they could. And any bit of intelligence about the campaign, any bit of data coming in about what the campaign was doing, was interpreted in the worst possible light because they did not like, they did not trust, and they did not believe anything good about Donald Trump. I mean, we all tend to do this uh, these days more and more. I shouldn't say we all, but a lot of us. Uh, you believe the worst about people you disagree with politically. You don't just believe that. I mean, look at the number of conservatives who think John McCain really was a traitor uh, because they disagree with him on policy issues, because John McCain disagreed with them on immigration issues. Uh, John McCain's a traitor. They, they put him in, in the worst possible light. John McCain sold out the country because you disagree with him politically. That That's your opinion of McCain. It's not true. He's not a traitor, he's an American patriot, but because you hate him so much, uh, that's how you interpret him. In the same way, James Comey hated the president so much uh, that he believed, was willing to believe that the president colluded with the Russians, and it turns out that wasn't true. But it does make you wonder, if they really believed that the president was colluding with the Russians, who could they trust? We're the good guys. We're the honest, we're the noble guys. We're the band of brothers. So let's investigate. So the question is, did they go through the proper channels or did they just assume the righteousness of their cause? Everyone would naturally agree with them and they pursued it. That makes them the bad guys, not the president. I have a napping pillow. I know it sounds odd, but I have a pillow. And when I take a nap, I nap with it. In fact, you know, I've mentioned the call map to you guys. When I nap, sometimes I'll use the call map and this pillow makes it fantastic. It is my butterfly pillow. 63% Sixty-three percent of Americans sleep on their sides, and you know if you go to the store, you'll see really firm pillows, somewhat firm pillows, soft pillows. Well, my butterfly pillow gives you support in the places you need it most. It keeps your neck and your spine in alignment throughout the night, even if you switch sides. My butterfly pillow has patented sleep technology. It elevates your head to where you need it. It includes a place even to fit your arm and a pillow and a pillow for your ear. It's soft. It's comfortable even if you stay in one position all night. And the height, this is what I particularly love, the height of my butterfly pillow is adjustable. It also has Bluetooth-adapted night owl speakers so you can listen to music, sounds, or even a smart TV. Listeners to my program, The Eric Erickson Show, this here podcast can save $30 off the list price of $129. Use code ERIC, E-R-I-C-K, at checkout, and you'll get My Butterfly Pillow for just $99 and free shipping in the continental U.S. Go to MyButterflyPillow.com and enter code ERIC at checkout to save $30, get free shipping. That's MyButterflyPillow.com. The checkout code is ERIC, and yes, I had a nap this afternoon before recording this here podcast ad. And I used my butterfly pillow. I turned on the call map and I slept a hard sleep for 30 minutes. You know, it was one of those naps where you, you actually, it's enough time, but not so long that you wake up super groggy. I was refreshed. It was relaxing. It was great. All thanks to my butterfly pillow, go to my butterfly Use the checkout code Eric. All right, the phone number, 404-872-0750, wsb talk Ohio, the state of Ohio, its legislature in the last 30 minutes has passed fetal heartbeat legislation, just like Georgia passed. Wonder how their film industry is going to do. Hmm, I bet it'll, well, not do nearly as good as Georgia's. Why? Because Georgia has better tax credits than Ohio has when it comes to those sorts of things. Now... What are we going to talk about? (laughs) I know what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about Lucy McBath because I just find this hilarious. Lucy McBath beat Karen Handel. Karen Handel, by the way, is going to run again. She's gotten a number of endorsements. Um, Lucy McBath is now the congresswoman, uh, gun control activist, social justice activist. She's actually very personally personally nice. I've been in several green rooms with her, but uh, her politics are very, very, very to the left. Not really a good fit for her district. Actually, uh, her district was just uh, overreacting to Trump, and the RNC bailed on a ground game to help the Republicans. That's not going to—they're not going to make that mistake in 2020. Uh, McBath, though, doesn't actually live in Georgia; she lives in Tennessee. And she comes. She keeps a place in the district. She keeps a place in the district, but she didn't really live there. And the uh, Republican National Committee, or the Republican Party of Tennessee won. I'm not sure which. Maybe the Republican Party of Georgia, one of them. They sent a big package of Tennessee stuff, Tennessee barbecue and all, uh, to Lucy McBath's house in Tennessee. And guess who signed for the package? Lucy McBath. So on the weekend, in Tennessee— at her house, Lucy McBath signed for her package of Tennessee barbecue, uh, which begs the question of does she really live in Georgia? You know, Cobb County rejected her homestead exemption, meaning Cobb County doesn't believe she lives in Cobb County. Uh, I think she's going to have to do something. I, I Listen, local media in Georgia is dying. We have the AJC. We have WSB. Uh, there's not a lot left. And there's only so much bandwidth for local media. And I talk about this Lucy McBath story, but even I have to talk about other stuff. If I talk about Lucy McBath every single day and not living in the state, people get bored. But there isn't a ton of coverage of this issue, and there should be more from other media outlets besides myself. She really doesn't live in Georgia. If Just ask yourself this, even about local media outlets here in Georgia. If Lucy McBath were a Republican— do you not think this would be bigger news that a care package was sent to her in Tennessee and she signed not her husband, not children, not, not, not other relatives, not 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 parents, not uh, brothers and sisters? nope, it, it's her. She signed for it at her home in Tennessee. I suspect that it would be a huge, huge story. If a Republican did that, I I really do. And I think it is an example of the media oftentimes being very sympathetic to Democrats in ways they aren't with Republicans. I mean, look at the, the coverage Jim Jordan has gotten from the state Senate. My goodness. Almost every single day, there's some uh, glowing profile of how she's testified before Congress. She's done this. I can't think of another politician who has gotten as much coverage. And by the way, uh, notice how the local media in Atlanta is is giving the white lady all the favorable coverage. Uh, you've got all sorts of uh, diverse cast of characters in the state legislature. you got Stacey Abrams out there. Are they thinking, oh, well, we've given Stacey so much, we got to find a white female Democrat to give coverage to? Um. I think the media plays favorites, even locally, and people are starting to realize it. It's Eric Erickson in Atlanta's Evening News, the phone number 404 872 WSB Talk. Let me read you a tweet. Trump's refusal to concede the election if he loses proves he is a petty man uninterested in our national stability. Stacey Abrams tweeted that. Stacey Abrams tweeted that. Stacey Abrams, a woman who refuses to concede. The election from 2018 tells people she won, tells people that she was robbed. Uh, You know, she tries to make two very different uh, competing claims. One, that there was historically high turnout, that she turned out uh, record numbers of people, and yet uh, the vote was suppressed. Nobody calls her on that because you're racist if you do. Nobody wants to call her on that, her refusal to concede. So can I run a theory by you? And and who knows? I mean, maybe the moment I I stop talking, she'll come out and declare for the Senate and prove me wrong. But I actually, the more I think about it, think that Stacey Abrams is going to run for the presidency and not the Senate. Let me ray out. I think, by the way, I think if I were her consultant, I would advise her. To do that, um, and, and I think she's smart enough to understand the dynamics here. Let, let me explain it to you. So if Stacey Abrams runs for the U.S. Senate, uh, she really won't have anybody run against her in the Democratic primary. They'll all run away because they know what will happen to them. Look what happened to Stacey Evans. So she'll be the Democratic nominee, and one of two things will happen. If Stacey Abrams runs for the Senate, she will either win or she will lose. Now, that sounds trite, superficial, not a deep analysis, but bear with me here. If Stacey Abrams runs for the Senate and she wins, probably means President Trump loses. Because if Abrams wins the Senate in Georgia, the Democrats probably win Georgia in the Electoral College for the presidency. Same dynamics there, if not even more passion against the president. So if Stacey Abrams is able to drive enough people out, out so that she can overcome David Perdue, who's fairly well-liked in the state, then that means that uh, the president probably is toast. That then puts a Democrat in the White House. What Stacey Abrams really, really wants is to be governor. Well, one, it puts her in an awkward position of why are you vacating the seat after two years to run for governor, but even if you give her a pass on that, it puts the Democrats at a disadvantage because, remember, the party out of the White House is the party that benefits in the off-year election. So Stacey Abrams would be a Democrat with a Democratic president trying to run for governor in Georgia, and the Republicans would be more motivated, and you would have a bigger Republican wave. Suburbs would turn back to the GOP. I mean, don't, don't discount me on this one. Uh, yeah, Off-year elections benefit the party out of power. And so it would put her at a real disadvantage to run against Brian Kemp's re-election. But if Stacey Abrams loses her Senate race... Then she's suddenly vulnerable. She's won. She's run two statewide races, and she's lost them both. There are a lot of Democrats who already resent Stacey Abrams. They never liked her to begin with, and they will begin to come out of the woodwork. She lost the governor's race. She lost the Senate race. She can't be the nominee in 2022. It would scrap her chances. I mean, it would really hurt her. She would would be in a dogfight if she even ran in 2022. If she lost a Senate race, but what happens if she runs for president? Well, going into it, everyone would generally know she's not in it to win it. So she wouldn't get tarred with this perennial candidate stuff that a, a lot of, a lot of candidates where they keep running and running and running do she, she would be the message candidate. She'd be running for the cause. And so she would be forgiven by Democratic voters for running for the cause because she wouldn't be out there attacking anybody else. She'd just be out there running for voting rights and civil rights and, and, and Black Lives Matters and whatever else. And so they would forgive her that. And in the process, she could fundraise. And who knows? Maybe, maybe somebody names your vice presidential pick. No downside to that. And if not, in 2022, she's built up her war chest. She's built up her name ID. She's b- replaced Beto O'Rourke in the eyes of the media. And they come in in 2022 and give her nonstop wall-to-wall coverage. Makes sense to me. I think that's why she declares for president or, or nothing at all. And she sits back and says she's going to wait for 2022. I, I I don't know that running for for the Senate really helps Abrams. If she loses, there's tremendous downside. If she wins, she would have to explain two years later why she wants to walk away from that job. And would be that would probably mean a Democrat would be in the White House, and that would hurt her too. So I expect her to run for president or do nothing and just fundraise and complain and try to hurt Brian Kemp over the next three years. I want to just transition dramatically here to non-political story. The black hole. People have— the scientists have taken a picture of the black hole. Looks like my heart. Um, it, it is it, it is a phenomenal scientific accomplishment. It is essentially fifty eight million years old. The picture we're seeing because of the speed of light. It's just I'm y'all. I'm I'm fascinated by this, and, and you should be too. It it is an amazing accomplishment. Even if, you, even if you're not into science, you don't understand it, it's an amazing accomplishment. Scientists around the world were able to synchronize radio telescopes globally to continue zooming in on a particular spot, the center of a galaxy far, far away. And they got us an image of something that was a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away it it's just it it's astonishing what they were able to do and you know it turns out that uh Christopher Nolan in the interstellar movie actually did a really good job of capturing what a a black hole should look like if you go watch the interstellar movie it's 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 kind of hard to comprehend it's not my favorite Christopher Nolan movie but they they worked and talked to a lot of scientists to try to get an idea of what a Black hole would look like to the human eye. And now we've got a picture in reality of what a black hole looks like. And it looks pretty doggone close to what Christopher Nolan and his uh, CGI artists came up with based on talking to scientists. It is a, it looks like a donut, a lit up donut with, with a very black hole in the center. And it is a fascinating, I mean, y- you cannot understate the level of accomplishment. And coordination to be able to get all of these different scientists and all of these different radio telescopes to all look at the same spot in the sky and produce that picture. I'm, I'm just, I, I could go on about it. There, really is nothing more to say other than I am absolutely amazed by it, uh, and, and you should be too. There is other news. Bloomberg is reporting that Herman Cain's nomination for the Federal Reserve has run into trouble. Uh, Only one more Republican senator needs to come out against him for his nomination to not have the votes. Uh, Herman apparently in a video said that his vetting process would be cumbersome. Uh, Bloomberg is suggesting that uh, his nomination is actually a trial balloon and the president may withdraw it. I do not know. I have not talked to Herman or the president on this, but it is very striking. Mitch McConnell, the Senate majority leader, has refused to endorse uh, Herman's nomination for the Federal Reserve. And now you've got uh, Murkowski from Alaska, Corey Gardner from Colorado, both coming out saying they are opposed. Uh, John Thune, the number two Republican in the Senate, saying that he doesn't know that the votes are there. And even the um, Alabama Senator Richard Shelby Republican is saying he's not sure. Uh, that he will vote for Herman. So, But, you know, he hasn't had a chance to go to Washington yet to knock on doors and meet with members of Congress and sell them that he actually is capable of doing the job. Uh, but it seems like the Democrats want to go on a fishing expedition from the allegations that surfaced in the 2012 campaign. So the Democrats, if nothing else, want to use it as an opportunity to embarrass him. Uh, if he wants to go through the fight and, and go through the confirmation hearings for that, God bless him. Keep him in your prayers. Uh, The Democrats just want to embarrass the president. And if they can embarrass another Republican candidate, it appears they could as well. But it is very striking to see several Republicans come out and say they're not so sure. there let's go back to the phones here on atlanta's evening news the phone number 404 872 750 wsb talk daniel monroe you're next welcome
2: hey eric how are you today
1: man i'm good how are you
2: good i mean i know you've been already talking about Stacey abrams and if i, if I never heard her name again i'd be a happy man but that's not going to happen <laughs>
0: um uh,
2: I, uh, I would say that but anyhow um my thought uh, and you can uh, share yours here is why don't some other Democrats in the state of Georgia, I don't know what other prominent, you know, decent Democrats there are, because there aren't any. Uh, <laughs> throw yeah, they don't into, have a deep bench. Uh,
1: yeah. Uh, uh, so here's my the theory. Senate race is look what happened with Stacey Evans. Um, uh, black activists harassed and hounded her, claiming she was racist for running against Stacey uh, that it was the black woman's turn, and really made her life miserable. So you get a bunch of white people from the Georgia Democratic Party in the race. Suddenly you're going to have Stacey Abrams uh, and her activists coming out saying, "Hey, look at all these, these Georgia white Georgia Democrats. Um, they will make it a racial play."
2: Get a get get uh, get a African American gentleman to run against uh, Stacey Abrams for the U.S. Senate seat. Force her to make her decision whether or not she wants to run for president or for Senate, Well, then... you, you
1: got to find that for, person first, and they got to be credible, yeah. and, and they're just not there. Right. Everybody, everybody's scared of the mob. But, you know, it, honestly, Daniel, you, you do have to give uh, uh, Stacey Abrams some level of credit in that she has been able to wield the mob on her behalf. She, she really has. I mean, she, she's been able to, to generate a mob that harassed Stacey Evans— Uh, caused all sorts of media stories and showed up to try to vote for it. It wasn't able to get it, uh, but came close. And the Democrats are, they're kind of thinking at this point, you know, we've run all of these white Democrats. Maybe we need to run more people like Stacey Abrams. Um, Maybe so. I don't know. We will see what she does. I just, I I do think, though, that she's probably going to run for the presidency. Now, when we come back, we have got to switch gears up a little bit. Uh, I want to talk about the Family Policy Alliance here in Georgia. They are doing something, they are a conservative group, and they're making Republicans really mad, and you should be glad of it. I'll tell you why. It is Eric Erickson here, Atlanta's evening news on WSB. The phone number is 404-872-0750, wsb talk And we need to talk about the Family Policy Alliance in Georgia. Uh, they are perhaps my favorite outside group in Georgia engaging in the legislature uh, and with conservative activists around the state, and they have genuinely made some Republicans in the state livid, and it is a good thing. See, here's one of the things that you learn when you get involved in politics actively is you have a lot of outside groups that identify as progressive or conservative, um, but they're viewed by their own sides typically as team players. And the problem that you find, particularly, you know, during the George W. Bush administration, this happened with a lot of outside conservative groups, is they just became puppets of the party. So you would have conservative groups that would never dare hold their own side accountable. They would never actually stand up and say, "Wait, wait, wait! This isn't conservative." In fact, what you found more often than not is that you would have conservative groups saying, "Oh, this must be conservative because the Republicans are doing it," or "We got to protect these Republicans." Uh, I've I've in the past been very very critical of National Right to Life because they've they've given cover to candidates uh, that really didn't deserve cover because they wanted to appear bipartisan or they wanted to let some squishy bad Republicans get by um, because they view themselves as a as an entity of the Republican Party. Well, the Family Policy Alliance is making waves in Georgia because it released a press release announcing their targets for 2020, who they're going to try to find and recruit candidates to challenge. And it just so happens that two of the candidates on their list are Butch Parrish and Deborah Silcox. They just so happen to be Republicans, Republicans who voted against the fetal heartbeat legislation, Republicans who claim to be pro-life conservatives who voted against the fetal heartbeat legislation. And the conservative party is, or the conservative party, the Republican party, Republican leaders, really, really angry with Family Policy Alliance for doing that. But God bless them for doing that. This is an example of why I support them. Uh, This organization is a conservative organization. This was their number one priority. These are candidates who said they were pro-life, and they voted against this legislation. They found excuses to vote against it, and so they're going to be targeted. We have not in Georgia had conservative groups willing to fight within the Republican Party to make sure that the Republican Party's elected officials actually honor their promises. And now we do. And Republicans in Georgia don't like it. But it is a good thing. We must have accountability in the state. We must have some outside groups who are willing to hold those they've supported in the past accountable. Now, uh, Family Policy Alliance has a, a very long list of Democrats that's being lost in the, in the media narrative. We should point that out as well, that there are a number of Democrats, including Bob Trammell, the House Democratic leader, that they're targeting for 2020. But everyone's focusing on these Republicans, as if you don't do that. You know, it's funny. So I was at the Capitol earlier today, and I was talking to some of the, the senior leadership staff. And one of the things they said that is no surprise to me is, is something, if you really think about it, you probably could have guessed, but a lot of people didn't see coming. So it, what the new guys, the, the, the Kemp team, the, the uh, Duncan team and the like, they're hearing from people oh, we don't do that. This hasn't been done. Nathan Deal never did this. Casey Cagle never did this. You, you can't do this. And it's not that they can't, it's just that they haven't done it before. And now you've got new guys coming in who haven't been fixtures of the system for decades, and they're doing things differently. And in doing things differently, they're, they're doing things they think are best. They're keeping their promises. And that's not a bad thing. But we're also seeing this with attacks on the outside groups, like with family policy lines, getting blown up by Republicans. You, you can't do this. You're, you're on our side. You can't come after Republicans. Well, they're, they're not on the Republican side. They're, they're on the side of conservatives. They're, they're on the side of issues that they care about. They're, they're on a policy side. They're a conservative family policy alliance. They support family policy, conservative family policy. School choice and pro-life issues are right in their wheelhouse. And here are two Republicans who have consistently opposed them on these issues despite campaigning in favor of those issues. And so now they're coming to take them out if they can in a primary. And I will gladly help them do it. Because Republicans must be accountable. If they're not, if we don't hold them accountable, the voters will for breaking their promises. And the silly thing is is making the, the heartbeat bill the, the hill to die on for these Republicans. There is not in any swing district in this country any politician who ever lost for being pro-life. You cannot find the district. There are plenty of swing districts With pro-life politicians who regularly vote for pro-life bills, who Planned Parenthood and NARAL come after every election cycle, and they've never lost for being pro-life and yet we had a handful of Republicans, and even some of the ones who voted for it, some of the ones who voted for it, they were too intimidated. They had to vote for it. They felt the pressure. They didn't want to. They were trying to get out of the vote. The Speaker dragged it out until Friday afternoon to try to help as many of them be able to walk away from it as possible. It didn't work, and they don't like to be held accountable. They they love to campaign and say, I love Jesus and babies, but God help them if they ever have to vote for Jesus and babies. They will complain and moan and try to weasel their way out of the vote. We need some accountability on our side. And so kudos to the Family Policy Alliance for standing up and saying we are going to hold these people accountable for breaking their promises. That's what they're doing. We need more of that, not less of that. Accountability is good. There is nothing wrong with accountability when you have a conservative or a progressive group, for that matter, out there campaigning for a candidate and that candidate makes them promises to get their support. There is nothing wrong with those uh, outside groups turning on the candidate when the candidate betrays them and and breaks their promises. This is a good thing. It, it, it really is. Now, there's another good thing that's happening here, and it involves Congressman John Lewis. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm critical of John Lewis a lot, and I need to sing John Lewis's praises for something he has done. And I, I think it is significant, and it's becoming a media story and a negative media story It's becoming a story of protectionism and crony capitalism, and it shouldn't be. It is a very good thing what John Lewis is doing, and I want to go on because I want to to be able to get to this and spend a little time digging into this. What I'm going to do, I want to go on and take a break now. We'll go to traffic. We'll do commercials, and when we come back, please stick around because John Lewis, every conservative, should be standing up and applauding this thing John Lewis is doing in Congress right now. You guys, my family has become dedicated users of Calm. Calm is an app, and Calm puts my kids to sleep at night. It it really does put my kids to sleep at night. It's so funny, my youngest is 10... And listens to a story about Jupiter and its moons. And he can't tell me how the story ends. And it frustrates him deeply. But he hears the story and he goes to sleep. And he loves that he goes to sleep. But he also tries to challenge himself to stay awake and he can't. Uh, it, it's very, very funny. It, it, so Calm doesn't just do, uh, isn't just a sleep app. It's also for meditation. Um, they have all sorts of spoken word formats and music for sleep. For meditation, for relaxation, they've got guided meditations on issues like anxiety, stress, and focus, including a brand new meditation each day. If you head to calm.com slash Eric, you'll get 25% off a calm premium subscription. Uh, my family, we pay for a calm premium subscription. They, they don't actually give me the subscription. I actually pay and was a calm user before doing this, uh, doing this ad on pod podcast. Uh, It is a great, great app. I actually do believe in this app. We use it in our house. My daughter, my son, my wife, even me when I'm traveling and I'm in hotel rooms, particularly hotel rooms where there's road noise, I fire up the Calm app. It stays on my phone and my iPad. Right now, get 25% off a of Calm premium subscription at calm.com slash Eric. That's C A L M dot com slash Eric. Get unlimited access to all of Calm's content today at calm.com slash Eric. Get calm, Stop stress- stream, st- uh, stop stressing, and start sleeping. All right, hang on before we get to calls here in Atlanta City News. Welcome back. It's Eric Erickson, and the phone number is 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. I need to praise John Lewis. Uh, John Lewis, congressman, civil rights hero uh, from Georgia, has legislation. It passed the House of Representatives unanimously. Uh, the media is crying foul over it. And what the legislation does is it prohibits the IRS from developing an online or software-based tax uh, program like TurboTax. So the IRS would not be allowed to provide to citizens a computer program that would allow them to do their taxes. You will be required to pay TurboTax, H&R Block, or what have you if you want someone to do taxes. And I say God bless him for doing this. The media is saying, oh, this is a protection scheme uh, the IRS, the government, should not be able to, to compete with the private sector because uh, you allow the IRS to produce a tax application package while the IRS is drafting regulations. And you and I both know the IRS is going to be even more convoluted and pass even more burdensome regulations that require even more people to have to use something to prepare their taxes. I am vehemently opposed to the existing tax code. I am vehemently opposed to the complications added by the IRS through regulations. And I am vehemently opposed to a government that has convoluted the tax system being able to produce something that competes with the private sector that's going to do it better anyway. All they are doing is trying to hurt a private sector that has been able to wade through and spend money developing programs to deal with the convoluted tax system system. I say God bless John Lewis for saying this is nuts. Uh the the federal government should not be able to compete with the private sector. The private sector has delivered great software programs, and you know what? You can deduct the cost. I I think that's still the tax code. You can deduct the cost of having to use use the program. At least that used to be in the tax. I think it's still in the tax code. You can you can deduct these fees. Should be in the tax code. I, I y'all, I'm just I totally agree with him on this. And he and and others are getting blown. You know what's so interesting is they're blaming Republicans for this. They're actually saying this is a nefarious Republican plot from the Republican Senate. And they got poor old John Lewis that they, they convinced him to do this. No, no. John Lewis, he and I may disagree on a lot of things, but he also understands what happens when you let the government be in charge of these things. So praise to him. Uh, God bless him. Good for him and, this, and the House for passing this unanimously. Now, to the phones, Bob and Tucker, you are up next. Welcome.
0: Hi, Eric. Um, this Lucy McBath thing that I've read, been reading about has made me mad as hell. She lives in Tennessee, and there was a lawsuit to prevent her from running to represent the Georgia district, but she ran out the clock. It, it seems like Georgia should be able to just jackboot her out of the House and into jail. What can be done?
1: Uh, you know, you you do have to file the lawsuit um, before. The, this is the problem. They waited too late to file the lawsuit last time. Um, they needed to file it after she qualified, and they waited until she became the nominee. And there is a legal doctrine that prohibits you from waiting that long. Once once she was on the ballot and was the nominee, you can't go say, oh, wait, 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 wait. She—, she she, we didn't think she could win, but now that she's run, hey, she should have been disqualified. No, you got to do it the moment she disqualify, the moment she qualifies. And I wonder if there's going to be a challenge this coming time. I do. I, I, I really wonder if they will be able to make the challenge in this coming election. Given that, And for those of you who who don't know, if you weren't here in the first hour, the Republican Party sent Lucy McBath a package by either FedEx or UPS1 that required for her to sign for the package. They sent it to her Tennessee residential address, and she signed for the package. Not her husband, not family, uh, not neighbors. She herself signed for it, uh, which, again, suggests fairly certainly that she lives in Tennessee. Um, So maybe they'll challenge it this coming time. Now— we will continue taking your phone calls when we come back. 404-872-0750, wsb talk And also, Plant Vogel. There's interesting polling out about nuclear power related to Plant Vogel. Uh, I have a full-blown case of dad brain Today, you got to. I got to apologize. You don't have to apologize. I've got to apologize. I literally have had to write down. I typically do the entire show and whatever's on my mind. I talk about. Believe it or not, that's what I actually do. I've had to actually write down the show points that I want to talk about today because I cannot remember them. I. I, I this has been a grueling week. Um, kids and soccer practices and everything else. Yeah, may, yeah, maybe I should do that every day. You know what? Maybe Never mind. I, I can't say that on air because I'll get fired. Um, nonetheless, uh, you know that picture of the black hole? Um Okay, now we got to talk. Bear with me, those of you who are on the phones. Just give me one minute to make this point. Uh, Plant Vogel, yeah. So, Plant Vogel, nuclear power plant. There was an op-ed in the New York Times over the weekend that's actually really good. That for progressives who really do care about climate change, you're not going to solve the climate crisis in the United States or anywhere else unless you start phasing out coal power plants. You can't phase out coal power plants with just solar power and wind power because there are times the sun doesn't shine and there are times that the wind doesn't blow. And there are no such things as batteries that can store enough power to keep the city lights on at night or when the wind doesn't blow. So nuclear is what you have to do. And, in fact, uh, European countries that have embraced nuclear power have a lower cost of energy overall than others. The problem in this country is we have about five bajillion different designs for nuclear power plants. And in Europe, they have two designs. uh, And you pick one, and you build the one that works best. And so the cost of generating nuclear power in Europe is a lot less than here, and we need to do that. It is actually a very, very good op-ed. What I find very interesting— is that young liberal women in the United States are the most opposed to nuclear power. So they care about climate change. It's one of the number in the top five issues for young liberal women is climate change. And they're opposed to nuclear power that would actually improve the situation in the United States. Uh, it's just a, a fascinating data point as, as we move closer and closer to uh, Plant Vogel coming online. Uh, and and God bless the Public Service Commission for sticking with it. Now, let's go to the phones. Denise in Johns Creek, you are going to be next. Welcome to the program. Hey,
2: Eric. I appreciate you taking the call. I wanted to talk to you about your comments about Deborah Silcox, Representative mm-hmm. Silcox. Sure. And I, my point is, is that I think before the Republicans to start, you know, pulling people to run against uh, what I would consider a very strong legislator, um, just because of this particular issue, it's fun to find out why she voted the way she voted. There may have been provisions in the bill that she didn't agree with or whatever, um, and second, to really look at the totality of her voting record. What other legislation did she pull through? What did she, what did she vote for? What did she vote against? I, you know, I mean, we lost the House you know, this, this year, and I think we need to be really careful and not be short-sighted about
1: Denise, I actually think you make a very good and fair point, uh, and I don't actually disagree with you. Um, but uh, what I would say is that this is not the Republican Party and it's not the voters. It's a conservative group that cares about two big issues, uh, school choice and um, abortion. And so, yes, I agree with you. The, the Republican Party should not try to find someone to run against Deborah Silkos. 100 percent agree with you. And I agree with you that uh, the voters need to look at the totality of her record and say, OK, I disagree with her on this one vote, but overall, she's good. Uh, she would win the seat in the general election against the Democrat. Maybe we should keep her. But I actually completely agree with Family Policy Alliance saying, you know what? This is our issue. She said she supported it and she voted against it. Therefore, we're challenging her. And I think that there have to be accountability groups out there. And you may disagree with their their accountability group. You you may say, you know what? Uh, That's too single issue for me. I'm not going to support you. I'm not going to give you money. That's totally fine. But I think we need accountability groups like this. We we need a a version of Club for Growth in Georgia. We need uh, social conservative organizations in Georgia. Listen – I think if you're a a Republican legislator and you campaign as being super pro-life, we get the most pro-life legislation that we can possibly pass in Georgia. It goes to the governor, and you've refused to vote for it after campaigning for years saying you're pro-life, then, yeah, I think the pro-life groups have a right to say, you know what? You've been lying. We're going to hold you accountable and see if they can beat her. And if they can't beat her, okay, The voters did, uh, Denise, as as you've done, and said, you know what? The totality of her voting record is great. We're going to keep her even if we disagree on this one vote. But that's not the purpose of these organizations. These organizations have one or two issues. Uh, And I think it's good that we do because it does really incentivize holding legislators accountable. Now, I need to mention something that is, it weighs heavy on my heart. I just actually got an email from a listener who listens to the podcast uh, from Ohio, I believe, wanted to know if I was going to the master's. And apparently, I don't have any listeners who love me enough to take me to the Masters. And that, that weighs heavy on my heart that none of you love me enough. I, I know there are those of you who, who have access to those tickets, and you just don't love me enough. And I understand. I understand you have more priorities. I understand you have have people that you prioritize more than me, the guy who keeps you company and gets you home every evening and reads the radar for you just so you know when the tornado is going to come blow away your house or the hail is going to fall on your car when you're stuck on I-285. I, I, I get it. I get it. I'm just saying. I just, I thought I meant more to you. <laughs> I really, I, honestly, I had the opportunity to go last year and I couldn't because my wife had invited people over and I didn't know. So I committed to go at the last. I couldn't. Oh, my gosh. A buddy of mine just texted me and said, I'm going right now. Really? But not with you. And he's a pastor. Wow. Wow. I'm going to have to pray for his soul. I have a cruel, cruel listener named Jacob. And Jacob has emailed me to tell me that he has tickets to the Masters and he's not taking me. He's taking someone else. And that in November, he found a bottle of 15-year-old Pappy Van Winkle and bought it for himself instead of letting me know where it was. I I tell you, the selfishness. (laughs) And then Randall emails me and says, he's been six times. That's all right. I didn't want to go anyway. My allergies are too bad. Y'all, I'm starting to think Aunt Becky isn't quite right in the head. Uh, Lori Laughlin apparently believed that the prosecutors were bluffing when they offered her a plea deal. She actually believed the prosecutors were bluffing, which is why she did not take the plea deal. Instead... When she rejected the plea deal, the prosecutors charged her with money laundering and wire fraud as well. They have upped the charges, and she will now probably go to jail like Martha Stewart did. She doesn't—and, you know, so there was a great, 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 great article in The Atlantic uh, written by a woman who had been a college counselor at a ritzy private school in L.A. And— She recounts that at a different school, I don't believe it was her school, at a different school, a counselor called the University of Southern California and said, there's got to be a mistake. The Laughlin girl, she's not on the rowing team, so how could she have a scholarship? And the university started digging into it, and the the girl's father, who's the designer who did all the stuff at Target... Uh, He showed up at the school demanding that the counselor be fired, caused a scene, and in fact, uh, this is how the prosecutors were able to amp up their investigation, because he caused such a scene at the private school, and no one did anything, no one questioned him, they were able to dig further. Uh, So she and her husband, they probably should go to jail. Felicity Huffman, she took the plea. Uh, But these others, they don't want to. It's a fascinating article in The Atlantic. I'll try to remember to push it on the Twitter feed. And I will see you guys tomorrow.